What a beautiful thing when the people of God pray together out loud. Uh, That is a glorious thing. And uh, we may be doing a little more of that together leading into uh, our time in the Word over the weeks to come. Matthew chapter 13. I just could not um, preach on the conversion of Saul in light of the challenges facing us today. Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 to 9, and then verse 18 to 23. What kind of soil are we? Now, I made a post this week for those of you who, the 22 people who read it on our membership Facebook page. By the way, just so you know, the world reads our publications. In 23 different countries across this globe, they read the stuff we publish. I've told you guys you're globally known. You are. You are. You're written about. And those of you uh, who've read some of the things we put in front of you realize that you are known globally. So in 23 different nations, people have read some of the posts that we have put out. Um, You are known globally. But I posted on the membership page, and that's just for Three Rivers members, uh, some things for you to be prepared for today. And I I made this statement. You guys are way ahead of the curve. You're way ahead ahead of the curve. And, And you're an excellent, excellent church. And so what's happening today and what I want to address today is not a beatdown of Three Rivers Church, okay? Do you hear that? This is not a beatdown of Three Rivers Church. This is this is First Chronicles 12. The people of Issachar knew their time and what they ought to do. There is a season in front of us where the church needs to know its time and what they ought to do. That's called discernment. And so I want to ask this question for us. What kind of soil are we? When I say we, I don't necessarily mean Three Rivers Church. We are good soil. I want you to understand your times, where you live, and your context, that you may be a prophetic voice to your time, calling for repentance and the kingdom of God to come. Because here's the deal, Three Rivers Church, it won't be because pastors do this, it will be because you do this. It will be because you do this. Alton Sterling, Philander Castile, police officers Michael Smith, Lauren Ahrens, Michael Kroll, Patrick Zamripa, Brent Thompson. These names are evidence that there remains a social divide inside the borders of the United States of America stemming from hundreds of years of oppression due to sin and disobedience to God's Word. Though perhaps maybe none of us committed such acts, we reap the awful fruit of those acts and long memories and ingrained sins still at work. See, for the community of the kingdom of God, the church, we live as citizens of a different kingdom. We are not first Americans. And you need to hear that. You hear that enough here? And I'm going to say this over and over and over again. We are not first citizens of the United States of America. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We have one king and his name is Jesus. And He rules the nations. And as citizens of that kingdom and its laws first, we live by a different set of laws. That is the truths of God's Word. That stem from an inerrant constitution, the Bible. And that preaches a radical and supernatural and transforming good news, the gospel of the kingdom, that is powerful to save anyone who will repent and believe. And it is incumbent on us to know our times. It's incumbent on us to know our times. We can't afford to know how to construct the dominant fantasy football team and yet not know how to recognize a season and an opportunity for the gospel and a prophetic opportunity to speak truth to our time. There's more men in the church that can operate a fantasy football team more efficiently than they can the Scriptures, and that is inappropriate. The time is now. This this could be the church's finest hour. 
And it won't be because of some pastors doing something. It will be because the entire church obeys the gospel. Now I want to say something here and I don't want you to mishear it. I've learned in 13 plus years of gospel ministry in Rome, Georgia, that it doesn't matter how you say it or how slow you say it, somebody's going to hear it the way they want to hear it. So don't mishear. (laughs) I say that knowing it's going to be misheard. Gospel, in quotes, has become a marketing tool to sell books. And a code word for those who we would work with. Because if they say gospel, then obviously we can work with them. As opposed to people who don't know how to use the word correctly. But you see, gospel is not a marketing tool and it's not a code word. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It is a spoken and clear message that will either transfer one from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus or it will repel one to stay in the curse. There's no in-between ground with the gospel. You see, the gospel of the kingdom either lands in good soil and produces fruit or it does not. The key is not the gospel. The key is the soil. See, the gospel is powerful. The gospel will transform. The gospel never lacks its power. The question is, what kind of soil is the American church? And yes, I said the American church. What kind of soil is the church in the South? Three Rivers, your good soil. Your good soil. We produce kingdom fruit as a fellowship. But we could easily be beset with the curse of bad soil. And make no mistake, even in our midst, there is bad soil. The aim today is to exhort you to lean further into Jesus. To lean deeper into Jesus. Lean harder into Jesus. And be aware of the cultural air you're breathing and the fight that lies before you. Because you will either acclimate to that or you will bring transformation to it. There won't be much middle ground. Does this make sense? You either acclimate to it and just become part of it. Or you will bring transformation to it. There won't be much middle ground with this. Matthew 13, 3-9. Verse 18-23. to 23. Listen, listen to what the Lord says. These are the parables of the kingdom. Jesus has come preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, when we talk about our DNA as Three Rivers Church, we, we distinguish between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus never preached the gospel of salvation. Read it carefully. He preached the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom is a big deal. And so much of what we've done in Southern American Christianity has turned the kingdom into just make sure you don't go to hell. It doesn't matter what you do after that, just you're going to heaven. That's really, now hold up, go to five Bible studies, make sure you don't ever sin and get tainted by anything, God forbid, that smells bad, and be good. Be good. That's our message. Be good. The gospel of the kingdom demands that not only we be transformed, but that we live in domains of society making disciples bring the transforming power of the gospel to bear at the root level. It's not appropriate just to go to church and hear some songs and hear a guy preach and go home and say, I've satisfied the mark or checked the box this week. I'm not guilty of anything. Good, good, good for me. And go about life and do nothing. That's not good soil. That's hard soil, rocky soil, or crowded soil. It's not good soil. Because there's no production in that. Right? Being a good person is not fruit. Because there's a hundred million people across this world who are good people. There may be morally better than some people who call themselves Christian. They don't do porn. They even give their money 
the worthy causes. Heck, they might even go to church at Christmas and Easter twice a year. And they've never been transformed by the gospel. So being a good person is not the goal. The goal is to be agents of the kingdom with a, a purpose and a mission to see Jesus exalted in every domain of society. And so Jesus didn't preach, get saved from hell. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Listen to the parable, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since there was no depth of soil. When the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced some grain. Or produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus goes on to teach. He talks about the purpose of parables, why he's teaching in parables, so that those who hear, who really hear, would hear. Those who don't, won't. Quoting Isaiah. And then he comes along here in verse 18 and he interprets the parable of the sower for them. Lest there be any confusion. Jesus said, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the what? Kingdom. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Man, isn't that a picture This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one. He's describing people. You hear this? He's describing people. This is the one who hears the word. What word? The word of the kingdom, the gospel. And immediately receives it with joy. And we think, wow, they're in. If you, if you preach the gospel of salvation, you just leave the rest of the parable off. That's enough. Right? They receive it with joy. Going to heaven. No. They receive it with joy. But, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself. Because Jesus didn't preach the gospel of salvation. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. And salvation is bigger than making sure you don't go to hell. It is following Jesus to the grave. He has no root in himself. In other words, the gospel of the kingdom did not take root. The idea of Jesus not going to hell, good, like that, bad things happen, not so into Jesus anymore. But he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, what word? The word of the kingdom immediately falls away. There's no fruit from falling away. That's not good soil. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. They heard it, they heard the gospel of the kingdom. That Jesus saves and transforms and sets on a life mission to make Him head over all things, every domain of society, that all things are being reconciled back to Himself. Ephesians 1, 7 to 10, right? He hears the word, but, uh-oh, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. <laughs> yields. Good soil yields. 
Good soil yields. Good soil yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In one case, sixty and one thirty. Either way, good soil yields. Well, what do we find here in this passage? Number one, the word of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Church, we preach not rescue from hell. We preach Jesus as king over all things. That includes transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun, salvation. But it doesn't end there. The gospel of the kingdom is that all things are being reconciled back under Christ. That wherever this gospel is preached, it's not done until domains of society are brought under the rule of Christ. Meaning every single one of our vocations matter. You hear this. This is part of our DNA. KDSE. Kingdom, disciples, society, church, the gospel of the kingdom makes disciples because it's powerful. Wherever it's preached, Jesus draws people to himself. The gospel of the kingdom makes disciples. Disciples are people who hear and obey. Jesus told a little story about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He who hears these words of mine and does them, does them, does them, is wise and they built their house on the rock. He who hears and does not do is foolish. House on sand. So what happens when all this stuff starts blowing on? The one on the sand falls. Why? Because it hasn't been founded on the rock. What's the rock? Jesus. How do you get found on the rock? Hear Him? Obey Him. It's not enough to hear. And receive it with joy. It's then do what He says. This glorious good news of the second person of the Trinity coming on the rescue mission from the Father to die in the place of the rebels from the fall to take all of their sin so that upon repentance and faith He will give them all of His righteousness and take them from darkness to light and put His Spirit in them, put His Word in them and cause them to walk in His way. And set them on the path of obeying Him to the nations. That the nations may know and come worship Jesus to this gospel of the kingdom. It's sown. And when it's sown though, it can land in a hard life. In a hard path. And Jesus says, when it's sown and not understood, it's because the evil one came and snatched it away. In this room, the evil one is at work to snatch away the gospel of the kingdom. You need to know that. What's happening in this room is bigger than what you see with your eyes and hear with your ears. I would dare say on our other campus today and here and those who aren't here today, there is snatching of the word away. Unawares because my favorite show's on. Man, it's good. I slept late. Mmm, that's important. I'm training my body because, you know, that's more important, right? And the word of the kingdom is being snatched away, snatched away, snatched away and has no effect. But then this word of the kingdom falls on rocky ground. And this is the one that lacks no personal depth. And it leads that person to abandon the gospel of the kingdom upon the arrival of difficulty. Well, where are you, Jesus? Didn't think bad supposed to happen to Christians. Jesus, right? So there's no root. Because there's no depth. Everything is surface. Nothing is evaluated patiently for its merits or lack thereof. So when hard things happen, Jesus is jettisoned because, well, He just didn't work for them. As if that were the point of the gospel. Right? But... Then this is, this is, this is the one that scares me, and this is the, this is the one that I think really, really, really speaks to the American Christian subculture. And it's this crowded soil. The word of the kingdom is sown among thorns. This is the one who, when they hear the word, they hear it. They hear it. But the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. The scriptures define the world. 
the world, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. This, this system of lies, not the, not the earth, not the universe, not the created order. That's not the world Jesus is speaking of. Jesus is speaking of the world, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. This system of lies operated by the evil one that stand opposed to the gospel. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions. The world chokes it out. You understand choke? You understand choke? Cut off supply. Can't breathe. The cares of the flesh and the eyes and what I got chokes the word and makes it unfruitful. That's scary. That's scary. Because notice this too. Not just the world, but the deceitfulness of riches. I, I just... I preached a sermon in North Carolina a couple weeks ago. I posted the podcast on the blog along with my notes from James 5, 1 to 6, warning about the deceitfulness of riches. Paul even tells pastors, he tells Timothy, and this is a message to pastors, this is a message to anybody, 1 Timothy 6, 9 to 10, to beware of the desire to even gain riches because even if the desire is noble on the front end, there is a temptation that comes with riches. He says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. It's a snare. You know what a snare is? A snare is something you set to catch an animal and it can't get out. Now, kinds of really a figure four snare, cool snares you can set. And if you're like an outdoorsy person, you can catch your game that way. A snare catches an animal to be consumed. Paul's telling Timothy here, the desire can be a temptation and a snare into which many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money, the love of it. It's a necessary thing, got to have it. Plenty of rich people in the Bible. Plenty of rich people in the Bible. Abraham, Lydia. It's not evil, but it can become a temptation to love it more than Jesus. Which is why James will tell... People who are poor are rich in faith. He laments those who have abundance. Read it. He said, those people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's created trouble. Caused them to move away from the centrality of the kingdom. So the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This describes the American subculture of the church perfectly. Because you see, the reality is many of us actually believe there's something more important than the gospel, God's people, and the advancement of the kingdom. How do we know? Because we'll spend the majority of our time paying for it and doing it at the expense of everybody and everything in the kingdom. Well, that's just, you know, it don't matter. That's that. Don't need the church. Don't need uh, this is this is really kind of want to focus on this for a little while. I just everybody, everything. Then it's just because this is my life, right? It's my thing. It's what I want to do. No, no, not at all. You see, the reality is the desire for ourselves and the desire of the flesh and the eyes and pride and possessions drives many of us to spend the majority of our time getting more and more and more to the exclusion of the kingdom. And depending on how deep we get into it, it will require more and more and more and more and more, won't it? The deeper you get in, the more it costs. The deeper we get in, the more it demands of our time. And what's the first thing to go? Jesus, Scripture reading, right? Time with the church, giving to God, serving the kingdom. I ain't got time for that. That's last. Because the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions and the lust for riches cause us to put... You're okay, Jesus. You're still alive. You're back there. It's okay. And see... If that weren't the case, the East, the church in the East, what's happening there would be happening here. Because it's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't lack power. 
The gospel doesn't lack power. We just got lots of little gods we like above Jesus. And we're sharp enough to not make them stone figures and wooden figures that we set on our mantle. We take them into our heart. And we keep them hidden there. And they're those secret loyalties that drive where we spend our time and our money and our attention. And as long as I'm a good person, nobody will ever see my idol. But you poke an idol and it'll squeal like a pig running down the bank to be drowned in the sea. Remember that story? But you see, what we see here is good soil, though, regenerate soil, <laughs> receives the gospel of the kingdom and produces, it yields, multiplying fruit. You see, one of our great, one of our great problems in the Western church is that we value our tribe more than we value the kingdom. We value our tribe more than we value the kingdom because you see, we're all tribal. We just don't want to admit it. We, we, we hear tribe and we think Africa, right? We think warring tribes. No, no, no. Tribal is how we congregate and where we're comfortable. Tell you some tribes in Rome, Georgia. You ready? Let me open your eyes to some tribes. You ready to hear some tribes? Model. Kusa. Pepperell. May peace be upon them. Rome. Darlington. Unity. Barry. Shorter. Tribes. Tribes. White. Black. Hispanic. Tribes. And you see, the reality is, as a Pepperell graduate, I would never put on the purple and white because it's evil. It's evil. I, when I lived in Silver Creek, I used to drive... South Rome, and turned to go toward that evil campus so that I could teach my boys how to hate them appropriately. And we say negative things as we pass that campus because we owned them at my time there and they never won. And we talked about the negative things we would rather do than like that school. Tried. I'm not joking, we really did that. My kids hate the purple and the white. And if you love Jesus, you would too. Just kidding. Just kidding. But our problem is we're very tribal. And we congregate with where we're comfortable. But see, when we are citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom is where our comfort should be. And here's how we know we don't love the kingdom above our tribe. Look around you. You see, the reality is we're not multi-ethnic. We're not even really multi-generational. We're, we're kind of monochromatic. And the problem with that is the kingdom calls, calls for one body made up of all the nations come together in one covenant together going after the same mission. And what do we do? We tribalize. You see, if we valued the kingdom, there would be some things we, we value because the kingdom values them. Here's how you, you want to do a values assessment. What do I value? Write down the list of the top ten things you do. That's what you value. Values are not what you want to be. They're what you do. What do you value? Well, the kingdom has some very clear values. And there's more than I could put on these notes. We value transformation. We value this 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 18, staring into the face of God. We are forever being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose image we were created because of the fall, we're broken. And that image has been marred. And as we stare into the face of Jesus, we come after Him, we obey Him, we are gradually being transformed into the image of Christ, restored it's called sanctification. We value transformation. If we're not growing into more Jesusness, 
we are one of those other soils, not good soil. We value a new identity. Galatians 3, 23-29. We value our identity being Christ. This, our identity is what makes multi-ethnic possible. Because it's not black, white, Hispanic. It's Christ. And as long as we have in our top three anything other than Jesus, we will tribalize on those top three. We just will. Conscious or unconscious... We will tribalize based on our top sense of identity. We value the new identity of being Christ's possession. We value our real citizenship, Philippians 3, 17-20. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, not here. Listen, we don't pledge allegiance to America first. We pledge allegiance to maybe America 20th. We pledge allegiance to Jesus and His kingdom first. You see, we value unity in the body, even above common orthodoxy. Now, I want to be very careful here. I don't mean like deity of Jesus, inerrancy of Scripture, Trinitarian theology. I mean things we highlight above what it means to be Christian. The problem is that puts high walls up for fellowship. Oh, you're not reformed. I'm sorry. You won't be welcome here. Because everybody knows that's you know, just the way it is. I mean, it probably is, you know. Man, but it's not a test of fellowship. Does that make sense? Man, that's not a problem in our fellowship. We're a reformed fellowship, but probably, I don't know, 50% of you don't give a, give a rip. Good. I just love Jesus, preach the gospel, make disciples. I don't really care. If you ain't loving Jesus, preaching the gospel, making disciples, we have a problem. I don't care if you're Arminian, whatever, in. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Obey Jesus, right? We need to value unity. God values unity. Jesus died. Read John 17. Part of His function in dying was to make us one body. One body of the nations. He values unity more than we value unity. We value covenant community. You see, part of this part of this problem of the crowded soil lived out in our context is we want community. We don't want it to be gospel covenant community. We want to hang out with the people we like. We just don't want to hang out with the people who love Jesus more than the things I like above Jesus. Right? Right. And the reason we don't like to hang out with people who love Jesus is because we don't love Jesus the way they love Jesus. Problem is, I've got this little idol over here, which is which is how we get together. This is our common idol, so this is my community. We value community. We don't value covenant community, and there's a difference. We teach this in our membership class. We talk about what that means. Covenanted under the gospel, Jesus is our priority. The kingdom is our priority. Together, on that mission, together, seeking Christ together, toward that end, of the glory of God and discipling the nations by being producing radical followers of Jesus. We value covenant community. We value the kingdom of God. We value the rule of Jesus. We value love. Jesus said, this is how they'll know you are mine, by your love for one another. We refuse to hate. We refuse to hate. Rather, we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Did He not say that? Yes. We don't hate Muslims. We don't hate gays. We don't hate people of other color. We refuse to hate and we love. Because Jesus said to. If you don't want to love, you don't want to follow Jesus. We value neighbor. If you want to be like the person who wanted to justify themselves with Jesus in Luke 10, 25-37, you will ask, well then, who's my neighbor, Jesus? As Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man was beaten and robbed, left for dead. There was a priest who went by, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then there was this Levite who, when he saw him, passed by on the other side. But then there was this guy, he was a minority. We don't like him a lot, called Samaritans. He took him, bandaged his wounds, put him in the hospital and paid for it. And Jesus said, that was the neighbor. We value the neighbor. In other words, we value everybody. 
We value righteousness. We value humility, or as Jesus said, poverty of spirit. We value meekness, strength under control. We value mourning over our sins so that we can repent. We value mercy. We value purity. We value peacemaking. We value the opportunity that persecution brings. If any of those sound familiar, they're called the attitudes of the kingdom or the Beatitudes. So in light of that, what do we do this week? And all the turmoil that's surrounding us, and it's not over, church. It's not over. It's going to continue. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I've got a list of seven action items for you this week. Number one, let's not be crowded soil where things take precedence over the kingdom. Whatever you have to do, whatever you have to do to not let the cares of the world and the love of riches crowd out and choke out the gospel, whatever you have to do, get in that position this week. You hear me? You hear me? Either Jesus said that and he meant it, or it's a load of crap and we all need to go home and forget about it and not show up next week. It's time for gospel to mean something other, how we get together and who we like. Make sense? Or another book to buy. The gospel isn't that complicated. It's just a great way for some people to make money. It's time to do what Jesus... We've all heard. We preach the gospel here. We preach out of the Bible. You know the gospel. It's time to act upon it. Does that make sense? Because he who hears these words of mine and does them. We want houses constructed on the foundation of the kingdom? Yes, we do. Because when the junk comes, we don't want our house to fall, right? And it has come. So here's some things we can do. Number one, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When you go out of here today and you head into tomorrow, make it your ambition to seek the rule of Jesus over the day. Jesus, how am I to respond to this storm coming about me? How am I to respond to this attitude in my heart? How am I to respond to how I feel right now? Do not subject yourself to how you feel. Subject yourselves to the reality of the kingdom and Jesus. Jesus, how are you to rule over me today? And wait for an answer. Our problem is sometimes we don't want to wait on Jesus. And how many times you read the Psalms does he say, wait on the Lord? Far too many to make me comfortable. Right? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I don't want to wait. I want to do. Right? No. Wait on Him to answer. Our power lies not in our ability, but in Jesus' enablement of broken vessels. So seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Wait upon Him to answer you. Then act as He gives you instruction. The reason I changed this message this week is because I have my notes. They're done to preach on Saul's conversion. And in the middle of that, the Lord spoke clearly to me. And I know that wigs some good of our Southern Baptist friends out that God speaks, but He does. He told me very clearly. You know, you never hear me say God told me because that's a trump card people play sometimes to justify their sin. So you'll never hear me say God told me. You just won't ever hear me do that. I refuse to play that card. But there's sometimes God tells me. And, and I won't play. I will not promise you I will never play that on you. But when it's personal, he t- he, I will share with you my story. The Lord said, I want you to leave your study and I want you to go to South Rome and find Pastor Kerry Ingram and pray for him. And then I want you to preach Matthew 13. He's like, well, dang it, I'm done with my notes. <laughs> I'm ready. And so I said, yes, Lord. And so I went to Lovejoy Baptist Church in South Rome. And they were having a day camp and and there are two ladies in the office, and, and I just said, can I, is Pastor Kerry in? And I was like, yeah, he's in. And they call him up, and, and he came up, and I introduced myself, and I said, the Lord told me to come pray for you. And he looked at them, and he said, God answers our prayers, doesn't he, ladies? <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. Just, how are we going to come across lines, black and white? And he looked at them and said, God answers our prayers. Look at this. And so we stood there together and cried, and and um, and prayed together. <laughs> Listen, you never go wrong leaning into Jesus. 
You never go wrong leaning hard into Jesus and His Word and just obeying Him. He may interrupt your day, and that is absolutely okay. It's absolutely okay. Because unity is better than sermon preparation. I'll be ready. I'm a, I'm a prepper. Not like that kind of prepper. Not that prepper. I don't have an underground bunker. I don't have any of that. I, I mean... Prep and study and research, and that's what I do naturally. I can prep and be ready to speak in a moment's notice. But leaning hard into Jesus, seeking first His kingdom, waiting on Him, obeying Him is better than anything else you have to do. I promise you that. I promise you that. You won't go wrong hearing Jesus and obeying Jesus. Number two, I put some things on the notes here, and you can go to MitchJolly.com and see them, but I want you to read some stuff. My friend Kevin Brown, who's an African-American pastor in New Jersey, The Perfecting Church, and there's a blog. I've sent it out. I've been blowing the social media up this week and had people leave me because I, I, I'm not a white supremacist. So um, my, my black friends who write things that we need to listen to, I've been putting it out all over there, and so that's fine. They're going to hell anyway, so they can leave me and discard me. I don't really care. But the perfecting church, we still rise. You need to go read that. You need to read Kevin's words on that. Anything written by Tabidi and Yabwile. Now, I gave you a link. Anything written this week. You need to go follow him. If you do the Twitter, you need to read the Twitter. And you need to follow Tabidi and Yabwile. And you don't need to be offended. You need to sit and listen. If you are white, sit and listen and shut your mouth. You hear me? Learn. I posted an article on the blog and I linked it here. You can go read about Black Lives Matter, period. You can go read that. And you need to read the longer article. See, here's the problem. There is no current evangelical civil rights movement. It is now a secular movement. And that's sad. It was led in the 60s by Baptist men who loved Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's not the case today. There is no movement inside the church for a civil rights movement. It's absent. And that speaks to the fact that the cares of this world and the desire for riches have choked up the gospel and made it unfruitful. We don't care. We don't care. And if we do care, we get offended if somebody challenges our presupposition. You go read these men and listen to them carefully. Sit, sit quietly and listen. You won't know there's such thing as white privilege till you have it taken away from you. You won't know it. You won't know it. And I just offended some of you because you don't believe it exists. It's because you're the majority. And you live life from the majority perspective. And you have no clue. Until you walk into a building and they ask you the question, is that yours? Speaking of my son. And I'm no longer welcome there. Because that. I mean just the dehumanizing of saying that as opposed to him. Previously, perfectly welcome. Not anymore. Why? Because that's with me. We need to sit and listen. And pay attention and learn. When we do that, we can become multi-ethnic. We can shift. Because the answer to this, listen, is a multi-ethnic church. Not getting together when tragedy happens every three or four years. That's not the answer. The answer is not getting together and praying with our black friends when bad things happen. It is we're already together because we're one body, unified in Christ, together. And we are a living, thriving example of the kingdom of God. And that's absent right now. Third, I want you to grow your pro-life position to include everybody. I don't know if you ever noticed, but I wear this little band. It's called Abort73.com. There's no more militant pro-life person than me. But that pro-life has to grow beyond the womb. To every image bearer of God. Regardless of who they are. Every life matters. 
Fourth, I want you to reach out to anybody who is not your color, particularly black men and women, and ask their opinion and listen to them. Don't seek to correct. Grow your understanding. Just listen. Just listen. Just listen. Just listen. Five, make peace. Don't keep peace. You notice in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. And then Paul talks about Jesus' work on the cross being making peace by the blood of His cross. He doesn't say keeping peace, making peace. Here's the difference between making peace and keeping peace. Making peace takes two warring parties and brings them together in unity. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took those who are at war with God, all of humanity, God, and He brought them together through His death, burial, and resurrection so that those who were alienated are now adopted into the kingdom of God as sons and daughters of God. That's making peace. Keeping peace is taking two warring parties and just don't fight, stay apart. Stay apart. Right now in the church in America, we're peacekeepers. We're not peacemakers. Just stay apart. Just stay segregated. You stay over there, we stay over here, it'll be all good. Make peace. Don't keep peace. Peacemakers bring separated parties together. Peacekeepers keep them separated. We want to be peacemakers because blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called what? Sons of God. You believe that? Or is Jesus just fooling? I'm going to heaven. That's all I need to know. Really? Blessed are the peacemakers. They are God's sons. Here's a question for you. Let me just throw the opposite side of that coin on you. This isn't in the notes. What if I don't want to be a peacemaker? Can I call myself a son of God? Stew on that. Six, refuse to hate. Refuse to hate. Refuse to hate. Refuse to hate. Everything in you that wants to hate... Rip it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life crippled than to go into hell with everything in place. Anybody remember anybody who said that? Jesus. Refuse to hate, refuse to hate, refuse to hate. Number seven, don't vent your anger. We live by this belief that somehow I need to just let it out. Just need to let it out. Get it out of me and feel better. We need to live in the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Anybody read Proverbs twenty nine eleven? A fool gives full vent to his spirit. <laughs> but a wise man quietly holds it back. It's biblical and Jesus following to shut up and push it down. And we don't believe that because we're naturalists. <laughs> we're not supernaturalists. You need to let it out and make you feel good. Yeah, but the Bible tells me a wise man pushes it down because there's more than your physical relief. There's obedience to Jesus and trusting Jesus to be bigger than your anger. Number eight, repent of anything that keeps you from the values of the kingdom. If you have values that aren't kingdom values, repent of them. And number nine, worship Jesus alone. Worship Jesus alone. If there's any idol... Any idol, rip it out, rip it out, rip it out. Worship Jesus alone. Because my hunch is the church in America is crowded soil. Not good soil. Crowded soil produces no fruit. And Jesus said, I vaguely remember something in the Sermon on the Mount about, um, you will know them by their fruit. Hmm. So can I be called a son of God if there's no kingdom fruit? No. No. Remember I told you I started this. You are good soil. What we just talked about is the world you live in. And you have friends that already, already you see the divide between you and them. And Three Rivers, our job is to be like the people of Issachar. They knew their times and knew what they ought to do. You know your time and you know what you ought to do. Now let's be representatives of Jesus and His kingdom and let's make disciples and let's work toward making multi-ethnic worship a reality. It is the only answer to our crisis. It's the only answer. 
And guys, I'm going to tell you, this will push us harder than anything that will ever push you. Because it's going to require you to be uncomfortable. And tribalism is comfortable, isn't it? But we're talking about crossing tribes. Because there's one tribe, and that's the kingdom of God. Hey guys, guess what? The work's already been done in the heavenlies. It's up to us to realize it by reaching across, listening, being friends, inviting, and letting the Spirit of God build us into a community of the kingdom. You want to be that? I know you do. I know you do because you're good soil. You just got to get to work on it. You just got to get to work on it. Make sure you're a peacekeeper this week, okay? Be careful what you post. Be careful what you advocate for. Make sure you advocate for Jesus in His kingdom first. Okay? And let's trust the Lord to work. You want to worship the Lord? He's done this for us. Let's make much of Him. Father, we come now to You to ask You to be glorified. To ask You to be exalted in our midst. And Lord, there is uh, there's much work to be done in our town. There's much work to be done in our nation. And I'm... I'm more concerned about three rivers and our witness than I am even about our country. Um, your kingdom, your kingdom is far stretching. And Revelation 1 tells us that you rule the kings of the earth, Lord Jesus. And we are your ambassadors. So we represent your kingdom and your rule. So Lord, I pray for help this week. To be agents of your kingdom. Be ambassadors. Help us be good ambassadors this week. Not shoddy ambassadors. Not lazy ambassadors. But good ambassadors. Holy Spirit, I trust you now to root down into each of our hearts. And if there's any idol there, rip it out. Rip it out. Shoot, we may not even have the desire to rip it out. I like my idols. They are good and comfortable to me. But Lord, I pray that in your grace you would not let those things stay. But you would rip them out. And Lord, I pray that you would set in front of us a love of your great name and your kingdom and your purpose done on this earth as it's done in heaven. So Lord, as you taught us to pray, make your name great. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on this earth as it's done in heaven. 